This episode is brought to you by Storyblocks. Storyblocks makes it possible for content creators like you to bring your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Head to storyblocks.com slash 302010. That's storyblocks.com slash 302010. And let them help tell your story. The Titans clash again. White men learn to jump. And Jody Foster hides. This week on 302010. Hello, everyone, and welcome to 302010, the Lakers Network's weekly pop culture time machine, taking you back 30, 20, and 10 years into the coolest movies, TV, video games, music, and so very much more. Hello, I'm one of your hosts, Chris Santista. Who else is with me? I'm Diana Goodman, live from the Coney Island Methadone Clinic. And I'm J.R. Rawls, and X-Men, welcome to die! Welcome to die! Oh, it's going to be a fun episode this week, people. So many nostalgic, huge things to look back upon. We're looking at anniversaries from 30, 20, and 10 years ago. A journey across three decades for the week of March 25th to the 31st. We'll tell you all the cool media and stuff that came out around that time, maybe with a little bit of news thrown in there for good measure. Woo! And right off the bat, i got to thank executive producer Sarah V and all of the other fine folks at patreon.com slash lasertime supporting this show and the entire Lasertime network. Five bucks, all we ask. Uh, we need it more than that other podcast. You may like more. I'm sorry, it's just true. Thank you guys so much for your support. We can't thank you enough, and uh, we got we should this week have a listener feedback episode with me and JR going up on Patreon just for 302010 listeners. And 302010 games are going to get back to that as well. Laser Times Oscar Time will be up this week by the time you hear this episode. It is fun, long, and weird. Uh, that This is the weirdest <laughs> Oscar movie year I can remember, and I wouldn't even bring it up except we have Oscars to talk about in this episode of 302010 from 30, 20, or 10 years ago. Place your bets. Don't look ahead. Moving on, as we always do, into 1992, 30 years ago, March 25th of the 31st, tons of movies to talk about this week. Not tons, but more than usual in the 90s, which yeah. I still consider the 80s for some reason. And some of them are terrible. Some of them, are, some are good. Yeah, some are all right. Uh, first up, we got Ruby with David Duchovny, Tobin Bell, Arliss Howard, Sherilyn Fenn, and Denny Aiello. Never heard yeah. of it. <laughs> uh, the tagline of this is, need to know the whole story. And eh, it's the story about the guy who shot the guy Jack who Ruby? shot JFK. I, yeah. I've, I've always <laughs> wanted to know more about him. And every time I do, it's not interesting at all. <laughs> no, he's a mopped up club owner. Yeah. And that's like why it's so weird that he would kill Oswald because it's like, what do you care? You're some mobbed up club owner. But like they get into a little bit of conspiracy stuff. It kills me that Willie Garson plays <laughs> plays Oswald, which is just odd. He's just so huggable and lovable, R.I.P. Yeah, it's just it's really weird that this came out so close to JFK. Like, well, uh, if you do the math, um, it's 1992. Filming, right? Yeah, yeah. But my point is, everyone over the age of maybe like 37 in 1992 had a, a vivid memory of JFK being assassinated. Oh. If you were 37 and older in 1992, then you were four, five, four and up 
1963 when he was shot. Okay. Mm. So you've got a very vivid memory of it. It's super real to you. And now it's time for you to approve movies or make movies. So I think that's why we got this really big JFK resurgence around this time. It was peak nostalgia for the JFK presidents. Mm. Mm. And that would explain why we have so many Marvel movies. People my generation growing up and making stuff. Uh, yep. <laughs> and, and must be stopped. And yeah, well, Eventually, it'll peter out. But uh, a movie I know I saw, and I, I love how I saw it. Mm-hmm. Do you remember when DVDs first came out and they were like, I remember my first DVD was like the Blair Witch Project and it was like twenty five ninety nine because there were no sales yet and there would always be like three movies that were nine ninety nine. This was one of them. So all of my male friends who collected DVDs for no reason had this in their collection because it was it could be gotten for ten dollars or less, unlike any other movie. Uh, Ian <laughs> Roberts, Daniel Craig, uh-huh. uh, Morgan Freeman, John Kilgood, Armin Mueller, Stalge, Stephen Dorff, and The Power of One. This and like Hamburger Hill. <laughs> I guess they're manly movies about manfulness. Uh, Daniel Craig's film debut, by the way. This movie's kind of about everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's based on the book from a couple of years before about an English kid growing up in South Africa during World War II and apartheid. So it's first kind of about how he's being tortured by all the Afrikaners kids who hate the British and therefore, I guess, they like the Nazis. And so... Gets tortured by them a whole bunch in the shitty boarding school. And then he like befriends a German guy who's being held because, you know, he could be an enemy spy or something. And also like makes friends with Morgan Freeman, who teaches him about boxing and how it's good for whites and blacks to box side by side because that, you know, apartheid is really bad. And then he's got to face all kinds of apartheid violence. And I remember he's being pretty good, but the reviews were actually kind of rough on it. I was just saying, like, there's too much. It's just about too much stuff. It does seem to be, like, almost a comedy sketch of everything you need for an epic sweeping film to nab audiences and Oscars. The setting, the time, the time, the location, the boxing. It's just, (laughs) it's everything. Everything you could do to make an Oscar Beatty movie. I I know the book is is much more more well-regarded than the movie, and I think I have a copy around here somewhere because I think my husband liked it a lot. Wow. Yeah. It's got some pretty sweet payback on a Nazi guy in the book, but I don't think that happens in the movie. Yeah, why would anybody want to see that in theaters? Mm. Come on. Uh, right. The movie I did see in theaters this Let's week. Let's talk about Ooh. a little time. <laughs> uh, Vanessa Shaw, uh, Eileen Grafts, Jonathan Brandis, Jackie Harry, and Rodney Dangerfield in Ladybugs. Hey! Uh, this movie is a war crime! It, does it feel <laughs> like that to you? Yes. It, There's a lot of sexualizing 13 year old girls yeah that's that's how old the girls are in this movie and there it's definitely played at sexuality at times which is a bit of a yikes i don't like having rodney dangerfield around anyone underage there there's a clip his kind of humor is just don't yeah, yeah. Rodney Dangerfield works best when he's a slob versus snob. Mm-hmm. He should always be the poor person who's interacting with someone at a much higher social income or social status level. You know, whether it's in Caddyshack where he's interacting with old money or in Back to School where he's interacting with intellectuals so this should have been like a premier league soccer team and that would have worked yeah yeah if he was coaching like the 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 best soccer league in the world somehow that could be funny right but But this is 
this is about him coaching a girl's little girl's soccer team to impress Press his, his boss, boss to get a promotion. Yeah, his boss is one of those movie bosses who is an alien pretending to be a human and doesn't uh. actually understand human emotions. That's the only way it works because he's offering Rodney Dangerfield to be president of his sales, his sales, you know, the thing a company needs to do to make money mm -hmm. if he gets a girls soccer team to win. You know, that's not a great really way to decide who is going to be head of the area of your company that makes money. It's true. Mm. There, I will admit, there are more than a few flaws in Ladybugs. <laughs> <laughs> are there now? But it, is it, it that because, you know, they trying to win, he ends up getting, like, his girlfriend's son to dress up as a girl there you and go. play for them? Yes. He sneaks Jonathan Brandis, a up-and-coming soccer star in his own right, uh, in drag onto the teams to start winning the, t winning the season for the Ladybugs. There wasn't even a series of wacky circumstances that got him to dress his 14-year-old kid in drag. Not even his kid. Rodney Dangerfield gives his not even yet stepson, mm -hmm. because he hasn't married the wife, so it's just, mm. you know, the son of a girl he's shagging at the moment. He gives that dude a smile, and the guy goes, uh-uh, uh-uh, and then cut to him in yeah. drag, which... You know, there should have been a hugely improbable series of events to get to that. You know, the wackety schmackety needed mm -hmm. to be more wackety and more schmackety. I, this is there's just something like super nostalgic about this film. Not only because I saw it in theaters, it is just formulaic '80s pap leaked into the '90s. And oh yeah, this this should be a 1983 film. Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I, and, and I don't hate it for that reason. I didn't watch rewatch all of it because I kind of got the gist and there's just something to me that will never not be fascinating about Rondi Dangerfield. I was fascinated by him as a kid. I still think there's something inherently hilarious by him standing around and acting if you want to call it that. because <laughs> he's just, he, he can only do one thing and that's be Rodney. I don't know. I, I can't think of any other movie star like him who got to be in mainstream movies this late in his career. He'll, he'll even be in a movie like seven years later. He'll star in his own movie seven years later again. We talked yeah. about it. And his Rodney Dangerfield vehicles are trash, yes. except for back to school. Yeah. If he is the number yeah. one name, back away. Just back away as fast as you can. And even no, no love for easy money. But even even then, back yeah. to, I think you can only do yeah. a Rodney Dangerfield movie once because he only has one character. Unless you're doing sequels about it. That's why Adam Sandler at least changes his wig every once in a while. And, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and but, I, I got to fault uh, the boss of the company for another reason. Mm. Um, he goes to the children's soccer game and he's drinking champagne out of a champagne glass with a champagne bottle. And that is not allowed. That is not good etiquette. Every parent who goes to their kids' sports knows you put your alcohol in a coffee cup so no <laughs> one can see that you're drinking alcohol at the kids' sports event. That's, that's the proper way, guys. I, I want the ref to call and be like, did you bring enough for everybody? <laughs> <laughs> see? It could have actually been funny if it was more that level of craziness, but it, it's not. Yeah, I think it's, even yeah. as, as a kid, I'm like, this was not as wacky as i wanted it to be i wanted something problem child-esque uh yeah. but but it was not uh yeah. so not... and and instead it's the future that liberals want where we just put <laughs> men on women's sports teams and all of a sudden we care about women's sports so much oh boy man i love not yeah. caring about sports yeah how about we just not care about sports and yeah, just let everyone do important. what they want yeah ladybugs it's i think if you're like me if you're my exact age, I just endured this movie so much, it's <laughs> difficult to hate. It's Stockholm Syndrome-y, I know, but it's, uh, 
It's hard to slam. It's so stupid. Well, no, it's easy to slam. Yeah. Play, the play the clip and tell me it's a hard to slam movie. This clip labeled, watching this clip from Ladybugs puts you on the FBI watch list. Yes. You know, I've never seen you with your hair down. Let me see what you look like with your hair down. Okay, hold What? Let me see what your glasses off too. Will you take your glasses off? Oh, look at those brown eyes. You're cute as a button. But what about my braces? So what? Big deal, huh? You'll meet a boy who has braces. Then when you kiss, you'll see sparks. <laughs> I'll tell you something, Penny Pester. If I was younger, I would definitely ask you for a date. And just my luck, you probably wouldn't even go out with me. Huh? Yes, I would, Coach Tester. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> oh, I... It is easy to slam. I am slamming it right now. I am yeah. slamming this movie nice and hard. I yeah. know, but there's, there's... I'm going to slam it. I mean, is it? do you think it's? you can't make fun of it because oh, no, the no, emissions no, no. are so low? No, no, no. It's just like, I just feel like we needed movies like this and like Meatballs 2 and Great Outdoors airing in between good movies. So we had an idea of what good movies were. They kind of set, <laughs> set a baseline for you. They... But correct me if I'm wrong. Those weren't having a bunch of 13-year-old girls, right? I mean, I feel like it's different it's, if the it's humor is... You know. I, but I, I, did, I read that in like a... The scene was intended to be sweet and grandfatherly. It was, <laughs> but it's creepy AF. Yeah, creepy. Dangerfield's eyes do not help at all in that, <laughs> that situation. <laughs> and, and there's scenes where the, again, canonically 13-year-old girl is like running forward in a bikini in super slow-mo oh, where no. it's just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that happened a lot. Oh, no. But uh, that, that did happen. But again, it's different if it's late high school right. where you can be like, these girls are all coincidentally 18. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is canonically not the case. Yes. Yeah. No, Chris, no, no. I think Stockholm Syndrome might be the answer. I know. I don't want to fucking stand and defend well, this movie anymore. Well, even that, you're really fucking high right now. I, I don't just, know how on <laughs> earth. Like, ex look, I also have a, a warm spot for Rodney Dangerfield. And I can also admit, like, most of his movies suck ass. I know, but I just. This is probably the worst of the bunch because children are involved. Even Even watching it, I just, like. Man, this is so bad. I'm enjoying it so... I, I, like, I don't know. It's just so of its time. And even, like we said, the time is kind of 80s. It does feel like a very late movie to be entering in 1992. But Ladybugs, yeah. fine. Fuck it. Let's throw it in the fire. Whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a movie I wish I could throw in a fire because I had a little sister. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, there is an age group of young ladies who really love this movie Ugh. and it's like it's fine but they fucking love it god her toe pick for fucking ever terry o'quinn roy totrice moira kelly and db sweeney in the cutting edge he's down and out those are figure skates pal a year from now you're gonna be in that snoopy costume and a nice capades she's on her own who the hell do you think you are hey snow white relax i'm no figure skater i'm a hockey player don't quit your day job. Now, there's only one thing keeping them from winning the gold. Would you please put me down? Each other. <sighs> the Cutting Edge, rated PG. Written by the guy who wrote all the Bourne movies and Michael Clayton. What? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> what? Was he into figure skating? Because, like, there's a very, very narrow window of what type of sports movies we get you know we get baseball football sport movies and occasionally basketball foot sports movies yeah. but yeah you know anything outside of that it's like this is your one sport movie you're gonna get this and then none for two or three decades yeah <laughs> so i think that's another reason for why this film might have lasted it's like are you into figure skating 
okay, this is your one, one movie, movie about that. Enjoy. Look, Ice Castles was a couple decades ago, so now you get another one. And but I mean, it's also like it's a romance. It's a you know, will they, won't they? It's yeah, got your, it's, it's got a, your happy Gilmore angle. Yeah, um, it's got a little. Well, it's kind of something for everyone. So yeah, like they said, it's about you know this spoiled rich girl, you know, figure skater who just keeps scaring away every partner, and so they give her you know this guy who just a goon got, yeah he's a, he's a hockey goon and teach him how to how to do figure skating and of course oh they clash so much and then they learn to like love each other and ooh. And, and then they go for the olympics in alberville france timely yeah, yeah but, very yeah girls fucking love this movie i mean it and is, it's fine i found it pretty watchable but Man, there are four of them. Yeah, that's that's it, it became the most unlikely film series, I think. It just to JR's point, like it's the only film representing figure skating before Will Ferrell was born and made that movie <laughs> as his name I can't remember. I know it's Blades. Uh but yeah, back in, in the in the the DVD heyday, they made three straight to video sequels to this because it's legacy. This movie was kind of a bomb and like and was made fun of mostly um until it came to like VHS and cable. And I think yep. it took like 10 to 20 years for its legacy to like build up and I'm going to guess the hearts of little girls and gay boys. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> it didn't even take that long. I think I remember this came out, I ignored it and within yeah, probably a year or something all of a sudden it's like this is people's favorite movie. It's like yeah, it definitely built on VHS mm -hmm. with with you know teenage girls and pre-teenage girls who couldn't convince their whole families to go see this even though it's you know fine family friendly overall movie but and, and I, if i didn't say it, it this in, in ladybugs such a thing this is airing like every day for 2 years on HBO it is yep. minor indoctrination by <laughs> programming laziness and standard television viewing yeah that's fine yeah it's, uh, uh, yeah, I can't complain about it. Like, it's fine. I feel like it does kind of have a little bit of something for everybody. It's a decent family sports movie with some romance thrown in. Why did it go up against the other sports movie? I don't know. I guess you could consider it counter-programming, but, like, it's still two big studio sports movies in the same week. It usually doesn't yeah. happen. I don't know. I've... Comedy versus drama? Yeah, so, uh, yeah I suppose. Like, uh, Cutting Edge seemed kind of like a at least a romantic comedy. And then yeah. we have a baromantic comedy, uh, a great of the era movie, Rosie Perez, <laughs> Woody Harrelson, and Wesley Snipes teaming up together for the first time, and it's number one at the box office. White men can't jump. $500, baby, and you can pick my teammate. Give him the chump. You mean play basketball? It's not about black. Oh, it's hard work being this good. It's not about white. How much money did you make today? I miss you, too. It's about green. Wesley Snipes, Woody Harrelson. I only have four words for you. White men can't jump. You explain to this Gladys Knight and the pimps. It's pimps. The pimps. Rated R. <laughs> I, I remember we were having slumber parties, and we've got finally got to pick. Somebody's parents let them pick. All right, you're old enough. We're going to let you rent a rated R movie. We chose this one, and I still don't regret it. White men can't yeah. jump. Yeah, this movie's fun as hell. Yeah, it still is. And it's just so bleedingly early 90s it's, oh, the it's wonderful oh my god wesley snipes hipster hats no that was just the style at the time i had one too i feel like two years later and the fashions would be completely different yeah i think uh, yeah. brett always joked about two years later they would retire most of those colors and that clothing for another 20 years <laughs> only now can we get that kind of neon and pastel back in my wardrobe i need more men wearing bright teal mm -hmm. bright teal and that's what you wear for sports to show how tough you are 
<laughs> but one thing I've never gotten is hustler movies in general. Because mm -hmm. if I'm playing against someone and I'm winning against them and I win, and they say, hey, let's play another game where we bet a whole bunch of money, I will go, no. Yep. I am not going to bet you, stranger, who I have no idea of your true abilities, because I have seen uh, a Hustler film in which this exact <laughs> thing happened. I, 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 I don't have a gambler soul either, and every time mm -hmm. I'm at a fucking craps table or poker table, I double my money and I leave. I, like, <laughs> it's never going to get better than this, so I would never fall for that. But beyond, yeah. beyond that, it's just like, this is just a great buddy comedy. Oh yeah, and, and a, a fun sports movie, I suppose. It's like it's yeah, it's got another one. It's like it's got a little bit of something for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I got to shout out writer director Ron Shelton, who is like the king of damn good sports movies, mm -hmm. man. I mean, before this, he did Bull Durham, which is so much fun. Later on, he does Blue Chips. After this, Great White Hype, Tin Cup. Great. I mean, yeah, he's he's all over sports movies, and they're like every one of those. Like, yeah. That's really good. Honestly, Bull Durham, I think, is a goddamn classic. It's one of the best sports movies ever. And it's barely about sports. And this one is kind of, too. Oh, this is far more about people than it is about the game of basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. no question. I, I still, I just want to, like, go back. Because, like, this movie came out and, like, White Men Can't Jump was on T-shirts. Like, seemingly unaffiliated with the movie. But obviously they were. I can't believe they got away with this title. It's so cool. Like, it, not, not just not got away necessarily. It just seems like something the studio would change to something infinitely more lame before mm -hmm. it got to theaters mm -hmm. as white men can't yeah. jump. Yeah, you could just call it street ball or yeah. something. That title was referenced so much. I mean, yeah. if, if you listen to any stand-up comedy in the year 1992, they were going to reference this title. You know, I remember one comedian talking about do, do white people really resent that title of the movie? Because if someone made a movie called Black Man Can't Climb the Corporate Ladder, I'd protest. <laughs> I think I think white people, let me check the pole vaulting statistics. I'm fine with the title. <laughs> Woody Harrelson learning to dunk is a huge part of the movie. Yep. Uh, it's it's so silly. I don't know, man. I, I, I didn't get to see all this because, again, we had to do our Oscar show the previous week. And but. I've I've watched this I think two years ago for no reason and I just had a blast with it. It's just so much fun, and I feel like it's Rosie Perez's breakout role. I mean, yeah, that, that, by a lot. Like obviously, I mean, she's in Do the Right Thing, and she's mm -hmm. wonderful in it. But it's like fun in this. Yeah, <laughs> her obsession about getting onto Jeopardy and like knowing all foods that start with Q. <laughs> there's a lot of them. <laughs> it turns out there's a lot. Not just quiche. There's a lot. Yes. She's just so but, like her whole thing on Jeopardy because she's got that like incredible voice and her very thick accent and her trying to put on this like very fancy like I'm an academic sort of thing <laughs> that she's got going on is so fucking funny to me. She's so good. Looking back, I think this may be the first time I encountered your mama jokes. <laughs> huh. I, I want to say the schoolyard maybe, but I wouldn't have been able to but see I this feel movie like in that theaters. Would have been copying, right? Like uh, I, I never would have been yeah. able to see this in theaters. So like it could very well could have been White Men Can't Jump, but it was definitely around this time. God, that was the funniest shit. Only to be retired by D's nuts jokes two years later. <laughs> the White Men Can't Jump, just a great slice of 1992. It looks yeah. like they were kicking around a remake for a while. It's like, dude, just yeah. leave it. No, it's, never but... needs one. Just leave it alone, man. Yeah, just leave it. It's fine. As as again, my my. Eternal point is going to be remake bad movies that have a good yeah. premise. You know, yeah. there's tons of them out there. 
And uh, this is just fine how it is and definitely exist in the year 1992. And I don't know how you'd make it exist in 20. Uh, making a career out of a uh, hustling Hustle. street ball does seem a little less <laughs> realistic in 2022. But I'm assuming it was something that might have been happening in bigger cities than I was living in. All right. We ready to move to, to the TV this week? Yeah. All right, uh, we got the Oscars, baby. The Oscars Woo! from 30 years ago. Uh, who's hosting this year? Of course, it's Billy, Billy Crystal. Crystal. Billy Crystal. And our big winners are all things that we've talked about. This show is fucking hilarious. And I will include a link to my breakdown of the actual show from 30 years ago because Bugsy's coming in with the most nominations. It's clearly the kind of thing that Hollywood absolutely loves mm -hmm. because, you know, it's like it's got a big star. It's about Hollywood. It's a period. It's got all the all the stuff. And it does very well, like most of the night picking up, you know, more technical awards. And then you get to the end of the night and Silence of the Lambs, which came out more than a year before mm -hmm. and is a horror movie runs the table at the end of the night and it's fucking hilarious it's only the third time a movie is one picture director actor actress and screenplay it's, it's is it the only horror film to win i'd have arguably to yeah there's i mean well there's I some know it's a fuzzy there's some that are thrillers but something this gory oh fuck no hmm. yeah it's so funny but like you got a bunch of music it's like all beauty and the beast all the time obviously that's gonna win <laughs> that's stuff that's fair I do want to say uh, best screenplay written for the screen, non-adapted, was Thelma and Louise. And I did see Damn. this week Thelma and Louise is topping the home movie rental charts. I had huh. no real good place Why? to add that in. But is there some there... event? No, I, I think it was just it was just super popular. And it was hmm. probably like at that point, I think movies took almost a year to the day to release from film to VHS. Okay. Yeah, but some good nominations in there. John Singleton getting nominated for Boys in the Hood, I think made him the youngest person ever nominated for Best Director and possibly the first black guy. Jack Palance wins and does one-arm push-ups to show off how tough he is. That's what lives in eternity. I <laughs> mean, that gets referenced for a solid decade, I feel. Yeah. But for city slickers, <laughs> it's just that it kills me. That, But again, we, we rediscovered that movie ain't bad. It's, it's yeah. still pretty great. No. A lot yeah. more existential angst than I remember as a kid. Yeah. Heck yeah. And then the next day after the Oscars, um, I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. One of our listeners, Grandpops, is on the Dennis Miller show talking about his Oscar picks. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. A amateur film critic from San Pedro, California, Tank Nelson, <laughs> guess on, right. on Dennis Miller. And I'm impressed. He picked Silence of the Lambs, which most people did not. But uh, he got actor and actress wrong because he thought Susan Sarandon out of Thelma and Louise, which I could have told you they were going to cancel each other out. And Nick Nolte for Prince of Ties for Best Actor, which was the safe money. It was a very big surprise. Anthony Hopkins is a supporting actor, man. He's, he's yeah, in the movie he for like 15 minutes. He shouldn't even be in that category at all. Yeah. But, I mean, come on. That, that performance is so freaking indelible, man. Yep. I mean, people who've never seen the movie can do an impression of Hannibal Lecter because mm. they mm -hmm. just, they know it through osmosis. The Simpsons, that this week airs at the episode Colonel Homer, uh, where Homer ends up meeting country singer Larlene Lumpkin and starts managing her career in one of, one of the weirder early parodies of the, involving The Simpsons. Is this the most song-heavy any episode of The Simpsons was before this? Or other, after other than this? The, the Michael because... Jackson episode we can't watch anymore. Oh, okay. That's fair. But yeah, Larlene obviously wants to be with a married man. I mean, it's not even like subtle. Her entire thing is, I know you're married 
and I am going after you. And I didn't I didn't know until somewhat recently that was Beverly D'Angelo playing. Oh, wow. I, I just assumed it was a country singer, but she's doing a great job singing and voicing Lurleen. Also, this is the first appearance of uh, Homer's lifelong dream. He refers to it as my boyhood <laughs> dream of uh, managing a beautiful country singer. Marge says, no, your boyhood dream was to eat the biggest hoagie, and you did it last year. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that would become a running gag. I think they changed it to lifelong dream, not boyhood dream, mm -hmm. though. He's had a lot of those. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, so have I. I've had a lot of yeah. lifelong yeah. dreams. Yeah, it's true. And then um, I I'll read this best I can. CBS Sports, they broadcast the uh, Eastern East Regional Men's Basketball Final between Duke and Kentucky with 2.1 seconds remaining in overtime. Christian Leitner hits a, a jumper as time expired to give Duke the 104 to 103 win considered by many oh. to be the greatest basketball game ever played. It has its own Wikipedia page. Sports. A shot. Duke On versus shot. And uh there's a bit of the uh, Mandela effect as people always refer to this as the championship game, the game that determined who won that mm. year. And that's not the case. It was, you know, uh, to get into the championships, uh, mm. but because the game was so amazing and lives on in people's memory, they elevated its importance to higher than its actual importance. Just ah. such a fascinating game. Like the miracle on ice. That wasn't the gold medal game. All right. Ooh, people remember it that way though. Cause it's so cool. Just think, well, that's the end of the movie, right? Nope. <laughs> no. Yeah, they probably didn't win the championships that year. I'm going to guess. We don't know. We didn't even look into it. It's not worth next week. You know what? Let me look. I'll tell you because I think we have it next week. Nope. Duke wins. Oh, they okay. All right. And they suck. <laughs> sucks. Also on TV this week, Dateline NBC debuts on, you'll never believe this, NBC. Yeah, <laughs> are there many other television shows that have the name of their network in their title not really mm. i think it I, I, like the news like abc nightly news i guess so i don't yeah. know my god what did fans of true crime do before dateline nbc <laughs> is that There's the focus just not enough to find out about like shitty murders in shitty towns with a bunch of b-roll of like close-ups of trees and like this quiet suburban house and you'd never guess and you just go the husband did it yeah. So it originally aired uh, with news anchors Stone Phillips and Jane yeah. Pauley. Did we talk about this movie already? I feel like we did. The Price She Paid, a TV movie where uh, an ex-convict rapist legally enters the life of his victim, Lonnie Anderson, and their 12-year-old son. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of yucky made-for-TV movies. Yeah, I, I don't recall similar similar titles. Let's just say it did air this week, The Price She Paid. And I'm sure the announcer sounds like that. Yep. Oh, we do have a, a good TV movie, though, over on HBO. It was The Last of His Tribe with uh, Graham Greene and John Voight. Oh, is it this week? About... Did I miss it? Yep. Oh, That's okay. about uh, Ishii, who was literally the last of his tribe of the Yahi who lived in Northern California. And, like, anthropologists want to study him. And he's like, hey, turns out, like, oh, white people have nice things. Turns out I like matches and I like pockets. But, oh, remember how everyone I know is dead? And I'm sad again. <laughs> I just, I'm happy to get Graham Greene to star in things because he's a wonderful actor. Yeah, he's awesome. And then moving on to Vigi Games. Goddamn Vigi Games. Ultima Underworld, The Stygian Abyss is out. Dagger of, of Amun-Ra is also out for PC. Quick thing on Ultima Underworld, Stygian Abyss. This is the grandfather of Skyrim. This is the grandfather of every single 3D high fantasy land you play because what this is is it's dungeon crawling as 
technologically advanced as 1992 can offer. You're playing in 3D, but it's, you know, that 1992 pseudo 3D and you're simulating what it's like to be trapped in a dungeon. You have to take care of your food, your clothing, sleep. Gold is not even valuable because you're in a dungeon. There's no <laughs> one to trade it with. So it's it's a really interesting early take, and you can definitely see the uh, seeds of the genre. And Dadger of Amon-Ra is a sequel to a very good adventure game set in the 1920s, so it's got that art deco type vibe going for it and it is 100 percent based on the art of jc linedecker if you look at his art and you look at this game they obviously were copying him uh, oh so we're we're doing kind of a like finding king king tut's tomb in the 20s exactly kind of thing oh, yep. nice. and it's uh shows the evolution of the adventure genre because the previous one in this series was typing commands and this is turned into point and click which was yeah. a big improvement something i couldn't even do yet in my house i could play soccer brawl in arcades the neo this geo is based built. on the incredibly sci-fi concept of what if soccer was interesting hey come on <laughs> the only sport i do like watching yeah um, but yeah robot soccer enjoy we're offending our european listener both of them <laughs> <laughs> And then a, a game you could not miss if you were a kid in arcades, the giant purple dual-screen monstrosity, the X-Men arcade game, is out from uh, Data East. And just just absolutely wonderful. I still have my Xbox hooked up that has the delisted port of that game that's only come out at one time in history. Uh, I think like almost 10 years ago that was out were delisted if you didn't know what jr was referencing at the top that is there were a lot of japanese mistranslations in games but like i this is the first time i remember it translating to actual voiceovers because <laughs> we had welcome to die uh <laughs> and then we just had a repetitive speech like this nothing moves the blob <laughs> and, if and you... that would be said over and over and over again but in 1992 Walking into an arcade, you have no idea what's coming. It's mm. like something shows up and suddenly you see it for the first time. So you're walking in there, no idea what to expect. And you see a game that six people can play. You're going to drop your lunch money in it just for that experience. I mean, it's it's an incredibly gorgeous game for 1992. The X-Men hadn't had a cartoon yet other than Pride of the X-Men, which Yeah, they were just count. tearing it up oh, in comics. Wow. They were like the biggest uh, thing in comics. But this video game is absolutely based on Pride of the X-Men. Mm -hmm. You can see that they were cribbing off of that left and right. And uh, my son had uh, two friends over. So I hooked it up and we played four-player X-Men Arcade all together. It still mostly holds up. By the very end, my son and his friends were starting to get a little tired of it because I just gave unlimited quarters. Right. Otherwise, that wouldn't die. And when you have unlimited quarters, it removes a huge part of the thrill because you just don't care if you get hurt the way you do if getting hurt costs it's you 25 true, cents. But those, it, I, I love brawlers, beat-em-ups, belt scrollers, whatever you want to call them, more than most people I know. Those games are criminally unfair and meant to steal quarters from you there's no real way to get good at the game you're just going to get worked now i've seen people who are good at sure. them who do speed runs and whatnot and i feel like if you wanted to release this again you should have some option where it's one option is unlimited play 
And the next option is you get X number of quarters at high difficulty, X numbers of quarters at medium, and X number of quarters at low difficulty. Sure. You know, I feel like that could add some thrill that maybe is a little harder to come by. But to give a little more context, in 1992, the X-Men comic book had came out the previous year, and it was the number one selling comic book of all time, yep. and it has not been topped to this day. Mm-hmm. Whoa. It was about the highest point for Marvel as a company before they would make a lot of terrible decisions. As uh, a comic book company, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, as a comic book company, and then Marvel kept buying other companies. <laughs> and anyway, it's a, if you got if you got a shitload of money you want to waste, Arcade One Up just released the three quarter arcade machine of this game for four players. And as far as I know, that's the only way you can legally buy it, other than the delisted Xbox PS3 version that came out a few years ago. So if you got six hundred seven hundred dollars to spare and want a mini arcade cabin in your house, I recommend it. Moving on to the music of nineteen ninety two as we close out this decade, America must be destroyed by guar is out and boy are my parents happy they love guar oh yeah well it's it's just their big protest against like parental advisory things and all that that controversy the the shirt woody harrelson wore throughout the entirety of white men can't jump i know i kind of want one me too (laughs) dave brocky of guar was very upset that at a concert in charlotte north carolina police came and they stole his rubbery penis attachment called the cuttlefish (laughs) of cthulhu that he wore as part of his costume. And so he was like, well, I'm writing an entire concept album about that. Hell yeah. <laughs> they stole my fake dick. <laughs> yeah, my that's... fake monster. It's not even a real one. It's a monster. It's called the Cuttlefish of Cthulhu. Come on. Adrenalized by Def Leppard is out, which should be a big deal if we were a little older. I just, yeah. I think I just, Def Leppard is one of the best selling albums ever made. And it's just like, I always consider them an 80s band and don't really know anything they've done. Anyway, self-titled album from Celine Dion is out really celine dion mm-hmm. celine dion this and her last album was her breaking into the english language market all right and pay attention here we have the album joshua judges ruth by lyle lovett that is the title of the album time to burn by giant totally crossed out the debut of chris cross had this is this where we get jump yeah yep yeah. And the uh. only reason we're not playing it is because it goes to number one I mean, I think you mean, is this the album with I Missed the Bus? Come on. let's we got to dig a little deeper with our crisscross. All of the songs sound exactly the same. <laughs> Winona by Winona Judd is out, and uh, Human Torch and Lucky Town, two albums on the same day from Bruce Springsteen. I wish it were Human Torch. It's Human Touch. Human Touch! My- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How Bruce Springsteen say, I love making- the Fantastic Four. Making so Storm, much music man. that he comes out with two albums on the same day. It might make it less special. Why? I don't know. Like, either make it a double album or just hold one back for six months and then release it. Wasn't touring that year and wanted to charge my fans twice. I guess. But, yeah, it's got some good songs on it. Including Human Touch, which we're going to close out with by Bruce Springsteen. But stay right there. We have so much more fun to talk about. Ten years later. I'm looking for Are you a content creator like the good folks here at 302010? If so, I don't need to tell you how time-consuming it can be to go searching for that perfect video clip, image, sound, or piece of music to put the finishing touches on your latest project. How nice would it be to have a huge library of royalty-free content at your fingertips? 
Well, I have good news. Storyblocks is here to help creators like you bring all your stories to life without sacrificing your vision due to time, budget, or resources. Storyblocks gives you access to a huge, demand-driven library of 4K and HD footage, After Effects and Premiere Pro templates, music, images, sound effects, and more to give you everything you need to bring your stories to life. Assets are royalty-free, so you can use your downloaded content anywhere for commercial and personal use. Their unlimited all-access plan includes over 1 million assets in their library, including things like the background music you're hearing in this very ad. Whether you're a seasoned content creator or someone just dabbling with your first YouTube or Twitch channel, Storyblocks offers a selection of flexible subscriptions that fit every budget and scale to give you all the content and tools you need to focus on what's most important, creating. So what are you waiting for? Get started today at storyblocks.com slash 302010. Once again, that's storyblocks.com slash 302010. Coming in in 2002... With uh, You're So Last Summer by Taking Back Sunday off their album, Tell All Your Friends. Welcome to 2002. Taking Back Sunday hadn't made it clear enough. We're talking about the week of March 25th to the 31st, 20 years ago. New albums include the release of Diorama by Silverchair, Perseverance by Hatebreed, Original Pirate Material by The Streets, and uh, Special Edition by Infamous Mob. Ain't It Funny by Jennifer Lopez. Featuring Ja Rule is still number one. I did find a little bit of music news to lead us in to the news. An unnamed band featuring Chris Cornell and the other members of Rage Against the Machine broken up before its album is released, or they have a name. And no. then they would choose a name that is one of the worst names in all mainstream music history. Audio Slave. Yeah. <laughs> Audio Slave. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but this band you never heard of, a super group, doesn't exist anymore. They would eventually reform and record several more albums, but... If you were a fan of the rock music back in the day, you want to see what Rage was doing next, and they got the Soundgarden guy to sing for them? Holy shit. It, it always felt like it should have been a bigger deal. Judging by your reactions, it wasn't. <laughs> and then on uh, March 27th, oh God, Jesus, uh, Passover Massacre, a suicide bomber kills 29 people in Netanya, Israel? Yep, we're, we're in the second intifada now, mm. uh, about 2000, about 2005, where fighting restarted, and this is uh, the worst mass killing of that time. Yeah, there's a, mostly a bunch of old people at a hotel having Passover dinner, and uh, a guy comes in and blows the place up. <sighs> yeah. yeah. And then peace came to the land, right? Right. That, yeah, that, that turned out that was, that was the last thing that needed to happen. And now, yeah. and, and now then, peace reigned. That's great. And now everything is great in Israel-Palestine. <sighs> I'm bummed. Yeah. And the movies aren't going to help <laughs> cheer me no. up either, because they're all... Uh, a little on the dark side um, in 2002. No, well, there's one that is a big help in a Disney cheese. Okay, yes. And then first we got Robert John Burke, Julie Christie, Helen Mirren, and Sarah Polly, and No Such Thing. Have not heard of this film? I hadn't either. It's a Hal Hartley joint, and it sounds really interesting, but the reviews were pretty rough. And it, like, it's sort of, sounds like it's kind of based on Beowulf. Like, this lady finds this monster guy who's indestructible in Iceland. Mm -hmm. and but he really wants to die so they're like looking for this guy who thinks they have a way of killing him and she brings him to new york and it just sounds very weird but not very typical how hartley who's one of those directors of you know troubled people sitting around having conversations kind of movies but one uh -huh. of those people is a monster 
but one of them is a literal monster. Let's talk about figurative monsters. <laughs> Danny DeVito, you figurative monster. Look at this cast. You uh, need this movie. Harvey Firestein, uh, Michael Rispoli, John Stewart, Catherine Keener, Danny DeVito, Edward Norton, and Robin Williams in Death to Smoochie. Sweet Jeebus. I, I know it has achieved cult status, even with some friends of mine, but I can't get into it, man. And I really, really wanted to. Because I yeah. don't, I don't even like Danny. De- Danny DeVito as the director. I like Danny DeVito's films for the most part. I really do. Matilda, War of the Roses, good shit. Yeah, I, I watched it on DVD in like 2003 or so, and I must have been in the right mindset because I found it absolutely hilarious at the time. Super funny, enjoyable the whole way through. Rewatching it for the show, I could kind of like see what I liked back then, mm-hmm. but it's definitely muted. It's like mm. this isn't quite as witty as I thought it had been at the time. This this film is so bizarre that it exists. It has yes. a <laughs> 50 million dollar yeah. budget. And this should not have... Well, if you look at it, you can see it. Those are some amazing sets. They film in Times Square, which is not cheap. You got to like pay New York City a million dollars an hour to film in Times Square or something like that. But it is bizarre. And it it should have been a Coen Brothers film. It should have been an indie $10 million quirky film. Trying to have it be this big giant film, I feel was a mistake. If it was like not that type of film. A movie by Wes Anderson, it would have been amazing. Uh, Yeah, well, I don't know if they could handle that because it is such a dark comedy, but it's also like four different dark comedies, each one of which, if it were just by itself, it would have been really good because the plot is Robin Williams is a children's entertainer who's very drunk and corrupt at the beginning of the movie. He gets fired and Edward Norton, who is this like wonderful, sweet, innocent soul, you know, takes over with the dark side. With what turns out to have a dark side, but he's like crunchy granola kind of guy, takes over as Smoochie the Rhino's children's entertainer, which part of what dates this so much is it's so much about Barney the Dinosaur. Uh, which is going to have its 10-year anniversary soon. Mm. What? Barney? Yeah, yeah, at the time, Barney debuts in 92. Oh, okay. Sorry. I was very confused. So it's already kind of dated for Barney, that's, but that's... then it turns out like... Okay, so obviously the network is very corrupt and they all try to corrupt the sweet, innocent soul Edward Norton and you're waiting for him to snap and waiting for him to snap. Okay, that's a movie. Edward Norton versus Robin Williams as children's entertainers, like all about Eve and backstabbing. That's a movie. Yeah. But it's not this one. The idea that children's entertainment is totally run by the mob. That's a movie. I kind of want to see, yeah, Edward Norton becoming Scarface without realizing it in children's entertainment. Come on. But make this movie. Don't yeah. don't remake White Man Can't Jump. Remake this one. Yeah, there's so many fun ideas in here, and they just go all over. Like none of them quite clicked or landed, and I just spent the whole time just just lamenting what this could have been. And I'm bummed because it's written by Adam Resnick, the yeah. co-creator of Get a Life. Uh, of Get a Life, which you know is a show that we've championed pretty hard, and I love all the people in it, and everyone's doing a good job. But it's a fucking mess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not funny. Yeah. yeah. Most, so much of it's not Most of it's funny. not. Every now and then, there's there's a good joke. Michael Rispoli's character made me very nervous. And I actually was kind of surprised they treat him with respect because he plays a guy who, what we would call punch drunk back then, as a, uh-huh. a fighter who took way too many shots to the head. Now we would say he has CTE. And he's... Let me just say, I'm surprised no one uses the R word, Adam. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, yeah. I just... 
that's how I read the well, character that's back because then. Because Edward Norton is so sweet. He mm -hmm. treats yeah. this man the way you would want someone to treat your uncle who had this condition done to him yeah. or something like that. Yeah, <sighs> Edward Norton's characters is the messiah, basically, the uncorruptible <laughs> person, except he keeps hinting that he has a super dark past. He, like, mm. throws away lines like, yeah, back in my mandatory anger management, they taught me this <laughs> technique. And you're like, yeah. oh. That's a movie right there. Come on. Yes, do do the, you know, it's secretly he's a serial killer, but he's put it all behind him or something. Something. Yeah. Oh, it just, oh, my God. I, wanted this I to also be... feel like this is just, like, pre- reality tv being huge and pre like tracking celebrity meltdowns real time on the internet mm. you know and it, and you can see hints of that future in this movie in robin williams character I, I think everyone is invested in his meltdown growing and growing and growing in the media over time that's yeah. that's what i think that's what perturbed me about the movie initially is that it, the movie seems to be made by older hollywood folk who don't understand the internet because mm -hmm. the dark secrets behind children's shows was just like so fucking hack even by this point to make a mainstream movie out of it the, the internet was already doing this making weird photoshops with barney in it and like coming up with terrible fan fiction for children's show hosts it was already happening mm -hmm. and just seeing it yeah. like so, done so toothlessly on a studio level like yeah. the thing that robin williams gets busted for is selling a spot on his tv show yeah, yeah i mean he's like literally arrested for that and i don't even see how that's remotely illegal I don't either. Yeah. Seeing what product yeah. placement looks like on television these days, Jesus. Yeah, I just all the ideas are there, and it's like every decision was the the wrong one. Just John Stewart's hair. I'm obsessed with what. Jesus why, Christ. What? I'm not even sure why his character is there because no, like there's a lot of extraneous characters floating around this. This like, why are you here? What are you adding? One of several Nothing. reasons I was excited to see this movie was like John Stewart's biggest role to date. And uh, yeah, total waste. Doesn't do anything. Uh, yeah, I know. And yeah, like you said, I know this has its defenders. Yeah, Death to Smoochie, you know, has cult defenders. But it's like, yeah, it, it's weird to see, you know, such a black comedy. I mean, like it needed to go so much farther when there's already so much ugliness. Harvey Firestein gets decapitated. <laughs> Although Harvey Firestein as a mob boss, I that is excellent that. casting. That's they they should have done that more. That voice as just like, I talk like this because I'm that tough. You know, that yeah. works. So Not a recommend why? for me, but I, 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 I like that. Why? I think my mom has said this is the worst movie she's ever seen in her life. And I won't go really? that far. Yeah, I, didn't, I never went that far, yeah. but like it was, it was but... trash by critics. Oh, yeah. And it was a bomb at the box office. Again, Huge that bomb. fifty million dollar budget did mm -mm. not help it any. Mm -mm. Then, thankfully, we have a Clock Stoppers coming out this week with Julia Sweeney, Robin Thomas. I've never heard of this movie. What is this movie? It's a kids' action movie, which mm. is a tough nut to crack. You know, you want to have an action concept that kids will enjoy, but you also don't want it to be very dangerous mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. blood or death because that makes it not a good film for kids. This is a C film, a C plus if you're in a good mood. It's all about what if you could slow down time, okay? So, like... You still walk through time, but everyone else is moving at 1,000th of a speed. And that's yeah. a cool concept. You can do interesting things with that. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, those X-Men movies always have a nice little set piece for Quicksilver. I think this is the first time where I thought like, oh, yeah, if you had super speed, everything around you would just seem really slow, but you would 
probably seem normal speed. So they just play with that a lot. You know, it's Nickelode- Nickelodeon movies uh, directed by Jonathan Frakes, though. Yeah, number two. Yeah. Uh, it's also got a super cool watch, which as a young kid, I wasn't at the time, but I loved the idea when I was young of watches that were special. You know, I had a watch that was a calculator and then I upgraded Hell to yeah. a watch that was a remote. Hell and that yeah. was just like the coolest stuff. It's like, yeah, it's that was man. I always wanted to be that prankster turning on and off TVs at bars with my fucking watch. but yeah yeah it's a fine movie if you're 12 maybe i just recommend looking at the poster it is the most 2002 poster i've ever seen in my entire life might as well be selling jinko jeans and then we go into the blink 182 is big in the soundtrack by the way so yeah (laughs) not dated at all And I just see Smash Mouth as the number, the first track on the album. I'm not kidding. Then the two bigger movies of the week, Angus T. Jones, Beth Grant, Brian Cox, Jay Hernandez, Rachel Griffiths, and Dennis Quaid in The Rookie. Jimmy Morris is a small-town science teacher, but a simple bat is about to change his life forever. You start winning, you try out for the major leagues. All right. Now, for his team. It's your turn, coach. And for his family. I think you should do this. One man's extraordinary journey is about to begin. Yeah, bring the heat. Oh, my God. Dennis Quaid, the rookie. Jimmy, come on, you're up. Just a second. I'm not doing it. Rated G. Starts Friday. Rated G. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, the second movie we've talked about called The Rookie. It's very confusing. I know. And that's the, the Albert Brooks one I kind of like. No, not the Albert Brooks one. The uh, Clint Eastwood Charlie Sheen Oh, right. Sheen one. <laughs> oh, that's the, sc- the, scout, the scout. Right. So yeah. if I hadn't known this was a true story, I wouldn't have gone along for the ride. Because yeah. the idea of a near 40-year-old guy playing professional sports for the first time is just a big stretch. But they bring you through every emotional beat effortlessly it's really a good film i don't particularly like baseball i've never watched an entire baseball game in my life i'm not even that big of a i mean it's really long Um, yeah i know that's why i don't like it i've never had a baseball movie that i just loved not even field of dreams in the sandlot no didn't Mm. love it I mean, it was fine, but this touched me just because Mm. I could really emotionally sympathize with this guy who was like, yeah, I had a serious injury and it never really came about for me. And then it's been a decade and a half and I'm healed now completely and I can pursue my lifelong dream. But now I have responsibilities and I have a wife and kids and a job. And do I really want to risk it all? It's very pleasant and very mm. well acted. It's it's a recommend for me. Yeah, pleasant is definitely the word because it's, you know, Dennis Quaid, who's just like so charismatic, just no matter what he does, you're just sort of like, oh, come on, buddy, you can do it. Uh, it's directed by John Lee Hancock before he did The Blind Side, which kind of sort of the similar vibe of like, you can overcome this, come on. But yeah, it's like a middle-aged guy who just happens to have a 98 mile per hour fastball, but yeah like becoming a professional athlete like you're moving around a lot the pay is not great especially in the minors you know you got responsibilities do you really want to bother with that's like, trying by the way where okay. you that's where you start with baseball go to a minor league game most yeah. of the time they have unlimited all you can drink and all you can eat fees and that will make everything <laughs> worth it yeah <laughs> i baseball is like the only game where it's like if i'm there in person I like it a lot more 
than if I watch. I cannot watch it on TV. I get yeah. so bored. Even then, I think I was like 14, 15. I was visiting uh, Chicago with my mom, and I dragged her to go see a Cubs gang in Wrigley's Field just because it's Wrigley's and that's famous. Yeah. And we watched about three or four innings, and I was just like, I, I know I said I really yeah. wanted to do this, but see, the, can there's we a thing. go now? There's and she was like, God, yes. You weren't you weren't drinking. You weren't drinking. You gotta see yeah. you gotta be drinking. Gotta dull yeah. those senses and then put down the phone and then yeah, baseball's sort of the equivalent of like cheering on the DVD screensaver trying to hit the corner of the TV screen. <laughs> like you you will get excited at at some point. I just love that Disney has stealthily released a movie like this almost every two years in the theaters. It goes completely under our radar and is like this what do you want to call it uh heartland box office champ these these mm. super cheap yeah. based on a true story sports movies they happen all the time under the radar and they, i don't even see them like showcased on disney plus but Dis the, it, a disney sports movie is almost a subgenre at this point well, you you've yeah. mentioned it and i agree with you i find like espn's 30 for 30 Far more entertaining, oh, yeah. and far more interesting than any sports game I'm likely to see because the stories behind the sports right. interest me in a way the game in and of itself doesn't. And that's what Disney brings to the table. It's here's the story of a middle-aged man. Are you emotionally invested in him? Yes, I am, movie. Do you care what <laughs> happens to him? Yes, I am, movie. Well, he's trying to pursue his dreams. Pursue your dreams, Dennis Quaid. Go for it. <laughs> uh, I, lo yeah. I love how Dennis Quaid has just become like the, the go-to down in his luck schlub, even though he's like one of the most conventionally handsome human beings on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I also love that apparently Rachel Griffiths exists outside of the bubble of Six Feet Under, because Lord knows I have not seen her in anything else in my entire <laughs> life. It was weird seeing her in this film, because I, I was like, what? You're, you're cheating on Nathan? Come on! You're, you're being a conventional person who's not like deeply troubled by her weird family and sexual addiction yeah just imagine it's going on off screen that she's just, she's fucking everybody because okay of sex yeah. Addiction. yeah she's all right fucking two college kids while her mm -hmm. husband's out with the minors and then moving on to the number one movie at the box office this week dwight yoakam jared leto forrest whitaker Kristen stewart and jodie foster it's panic room there to protect you from your worst fear. Take what you want and get out of my house! All we want is in that room. But on March 29th, it's the most terrifying place to be. I'm coming in there! Shut your eyes and don't look around. Panic Room. Panic Room. Yeah. Straight up thriller. Uh, not a lot of big ideas. This could have been a Hitchcock film, yeah. you know, oh, back in the day. thousand percent. And this is David Fincher's follow-up to Fight Club. Yeah. And like, huh. contrasting and comparing is almost night and day. Like well, I, I think he said he makes movies and he makes films. And Fight Club mm -hmm. was a film and this is a movie movie. Yeah, I feel like, I he, mean, was, he, was, yeah, I feel like he, he was flexing somehow. Like, I'm not going to make some kind of breakthrough movie for repressed youth. I'm going to show that I can make a movie movie, a movie ass movie with panic mm. room. Cause panic yeah, he nails it. it well, I mean, still with a little bit of his tips and tricks, there's still like uh, the dolly shot that goes through the handle of a coffee cup just because he can <laughs> just a flex, <laughs> just a flex. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's as solid a setup as you're ever going to want. Written by David Cap, who wrote uh, Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the first Mishpas and, 
I mean, Jodie Foster and her daughter, Kristen Stewart's like first bigger part. I think it's only her second movie. Mm -hmm. They live in this house. They just moved in. It's got a panic room. Huh. Wonder what that's for. Oh, shit. A bunch of dudes are breaking in. Let's go in the panic room now. And then it's just the duel of them trying to get her out because it turns out the thing they want to steal is in the panic room. And yeah, them trying to get her out, <laughs> them trying to get in. And at one point, that becomes reversed. The bad guys are in the panic room. <laughs> and now they have to figure out how to get out to get to the front door and escape. God damn, I like this movie. Yeah, yeah, it's I, I saw it for the first time and I was enthralled. It's a chess game. You are watching mm. these two people, two groups of people acting against each other, reaction to their action. And the audience knows things before the characters knows them, but it doesn't feel like a cheat. It just feels like you're being put into this world. And it's it's very solid. Um, at one point, Jodie Foster and her daughter try to blink a light out of the panic room to their next door neighbor, hoping that their next door neighbor will call the police. And I'm sorry to any next door neighbors who may in, be in a panic room salute situation, <laughs> but if I see your light blinking, I am not calling the police. I'm going to like close my shade and be like <laughs> mildly annoyed by you and never mention it. Get my BB gun. <laughs> yeah. But also like the little things of like, they, they try to put gas into the room to get them out. But it's like, but if you kill them, then there's never a way to get into the room. So it's like, you know, the little strategies and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it gets completely lost in David Fincher's filmography because it's a, we're talking about seven and fight club and Zodiac mm -hmm. and social network, but it's like, yeah, this is, it's distinctly a Fincher movie. It definitely has his style, but it's also, yeah, movie, not film. It is really interesting. Yeah, I think this, this for me, this is the movie that like, oh, I think this dude might be a fucking genius. Because like, I, I, I wanted more Fight Club, essentially. Right. And it, this was not that, and that was initially disappointing. But this is thoroughly enjoyable and, and dares you dares you to watch it based on like a, a premise you assume is going to be small. And it, on based on a panic room, which was a fairly new concept at the time the movie came out, not something most people came know and about. went. Like, are panic rooms still a thing? I mean, for the or... absurdly wealthy people yeah. who may be subject to kidnappings in other countries or yeah, holding... for the family and parasite, mm -hmm. sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was like a panic hey, cellar. They got a panic house. Yeah, there, that was man. awesome. But yeah, this I think this movie is fantastic and yeah. uh, highly recommended. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was way too much to read about it. It's feminist approach, all that silliness. Like, uh, yeah, people fucking love this movie. It has sort of found its audience after all this time. You can watch it now on Pluto TV, I think, for nothing. So check it out there. Moving on yeah. to television. So that is a the good point. David Fincher does tend to make dude movies for guys. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah, is this his only one with a female lead? Shit. Might be. Yeah, it was like Jodie Jody Foster's period of like making weird stuff like this because she'd make the brave one next where she's basically Charles Bronson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and she's, she's really good. Yeah. Everyone's really good in this. Forrest Whitaker's really good in this. I love Forrest Whitaker. Dwight Yoakam, I, he should be in most things. Yeah, he's Dwight Yoakam <laughs> is the shit. He, he really <laughs> is. He's my favorite country musician just because I like a ton of movies that he's in. Just because he plays a creep so well. Yeah, he's awesome. I want to kill him with a lawnmower blade. <laughs> Slang blade <laughs> reference. I mean, no offense to Dwight Yoakam. Moving on to television, 2002, March 25th to the 31st. Futurama, Future Shock. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I feel like I'm putting in every single episode of Futurama right now, but... They are absolutely on a roll, and I think it's next week. They have one of their funniest episodes ever. But, uh, yeah, this is one with the unfrozen 80s guy. He's, you know, <laughs> hey, don't you worry about that. Let me worry about blank. <laughs> and 
Fry actually says the word blank, blank. instead of <laughs> yeah. the Let phrase. Me worry about blank. But yep. uh, yeah, you're right. You're completely right. Uh, Futurana is in its golden age right now, killing it with joke after joke. I I still kind of quote in my head sometimes. I was so busy being a go-go 80s guy, I forgot to cure my boniness. As in like, <laughs> am I forgetting to do the important thing in my life right now? Am I forgetting to cure my boniness? <laughs> <laughs> If I had one wish, I would wish I didn't have bonitis. <laughs> ah, and then a, a, so good. A fucking huge week for ABC. Does good it. lord. In one week, Why? we have a debut of one of their biggest narrative shows and one of their biggest ongoing reality shows. The Bachelor debuts on ABC 20 years ago. Yeah, so this was definitely inspired by Who Wants to Marry a Millionaire, which was a Fox stunt that got widely condemned. It was like, even for Fox, this is too much. But it got high ratings, so obviously uh, network execs were taking notes, and they went, well, what if we could make it less creepy? No one minds if people date, right? So it's, you know, essentially a dating show. Uh, in the first season, there were some differences. The Bachelor Mansion had not yet been built. It doesn't take place in that. It's smaller in nature, but there's a lot of things that have remained from the entire run. Roses, Night One Limo Exit, and it was kind of presented as an experiment. Hmm. Also, there's some debate about this, but it's possible that this season of The Bachelor contains the very first statement of, I'm not here to make friends in uh. all of reality TV. <laughs> wow. Whoever that is, they, they need like a holiday or... Yeah, they got you know, nothing for it. it. Like a law, like Godwin's law, but it should be, you know, Shanice's law or whoever it is that says that for the first time. That's... That's amazing. But when this came out in 2002, all the contestants went on to almost nothing because this this is the pre-Instagram days. You know, mm -hmm. these days, mm -hmm. the people on The Bachelor, The Bachelorette all get, you know, a million plus followers on their Instagram accounts and they can start, you know, being influences or whatever. But back in 2002, uh, the contestants kind of just went back to normal life. Hmm. Wow. I have never seen an episode of this. Uh, I actually haven't either. That's all just stuff I picked up from research. I was just shocked reading about the current season. Like, they do fuck on the show, apparently. Just yeah, like, well, I mean, attractive people gonna fuck. I That's know. Kinda... It just it just seems so, like, much more lewd than I thought it was. It's not just like, we're going out to a nice dinner and like, oh, no, no. Like, they, people, like, hook up in a way they didn't even do in the first four seasons of the real world. See, I've just... I. I guess I, I understand the appeal because it is fun to just like spy and uh, on other people and judge them. But like the idea of here's one guy, here's, you know, 12 women and let's see who he's going to choose. Like, well, what if I start talking to that guy and I don't like him? We don't actually click. Can you just, does anyone just resign? They're just like, no, nah, he's not my type. <laughs> it's I don't nope. think that has to happen, but the I appeal think it is does. kind of... Okay. I think people mm -hmm. just, they want to stay on the TV because it is a competition to stay on the TV. All right, fair. But uh, the appeal, I think, is like on any soap opera. It's mm. any will they, won't they sitcom. You know, yep. people have always enjoyed romances and watching romances. And this is a quote unquote real romance that you get to watch and don't know who's going to romance the other romancee. I can't, yep. I can't even imagine. About 26 seasons. Wow. So that's more than one season a year. What do they do? They just go. Well, the like, Bachelorette, I think, is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, well, they, they kind of alternate. The, yeah. Like, 
someone that people seem to like off the previous season might become the lead for the next season. So uh -huh. it's not it's not like uh, Survivor where they is do pretty much twice a year. Yeah. I think they just keep going <laughs> as much as they can. Good and, Lord. And then a show I also have not seen, but uh, debuts on ABC, the George Lopez show. So George Lopez was not famous when he got this show. Uh, yeah, he not he really. was a stand-up artist, but he wasn't a huge one. Uh, what happened was Sandra Bullock yeah. really loved him, and she just used her star power and got him a show. Yeah. Nice. I'm not sure if this show was like incredibly successful at the time, I have to imagine with a certain audience it was. And then like they canceled it after six seasons, but like I think the repeats are still airing on like Nick at Night now. So it's just kind of an unqualified television success. It's and... it's one of those like low key sitcoms where it's like, Yeah, this is on and I'm not gonna bother to change the channel. So it's a success. I, I also don't know of another Latino focused sitcom either on television or or at least with this longevity on network television. So um, not in two thousand two, that's yeah, not two thousand two. Yeah. George Lopez. Seems like a good guy. This is confusing as hell. <laughs> Wednesday, nine thirty, eight thirty central. That's a show that debuts on ABC. <laughs> Idealistic uh, television executive joins a struggling TV network only to discover you're not going to believe this, but the world of entertainment has backstabbing and competition and uh, meanness, you know? Wow. So, yeah. You're kidding. So this title is, I mean, I, I kind of respect the audacity of calling it Wednesday, <laughs> nine, 938, 30 central, but that means you can never change the time slot of your show. <laughs> Ever. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I watched the first episode. It's not that hilarious, honestly. But again, it's a 2002 sitcom, so I don't know what I was expecting. <laughs> the first episode is at least low-key pro-sexual harassment. So, <laughs> you know, low-key. Thanks, you know. Disney. Okay. But Wednesday, 9.30, 8.30 Central. Again, that is the title of the show and also its time <laughs> slot. Jesus. It looks like eventually they gave up and called it My Adventures in Television, which is the worst title <laughs> What, what show could you I, not I call preferred, that? You know, when they changed Cheers to Bunch of Drunks in a Bar Making Jokes. That's, <laughs> that's my favorite title. Uh, groups of white people getting together. The show. And, and a show, uh, my, my biggest disappointment of the week, I was very Man. much looking forward to Greg the Bunny, which debuted on Fox this week. I think based on a couple of shorts that had aired in, on some like New York affiliate and maybe IFC or it went back to mm -hmm. IFC eventually. Yeah, uh, I, I saw them on IFC. Yeah, and they were they're funny and I saw them on the internet and it was going to be like this Who Framed Roger Rabbit of puppets, a puppets who live on a puppet show but also go home after work and interact with Seth Green. And at the time, Fox was kind of the only network championing the, what do you call it? The single camera comedy, no laugh track. I'm like, oh, they're probably going to nail this. The, the death, the smoochy vibes I'm after will be in this Greg the Bunny show. And it was not. It was just sort of dull. And uh, I was just reading a little bit about like it just had multiple showrunners. Like, what do we want the voice of this thing to be? No one could really figure it out. And it lasted a single season. Ah, the trend of no good puppet shows continues. But it, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, if you like, if, if you were... Alive in a smaller internetless world, you cannot forget the marketing because there's just like a little monkey in a helmet and <laughs> Seth Green standing next to him. It's uh, unforgettable. And also this week, we have the debut of AFP American Fighter Pilot on CBS, your dad's favorite. Uh, 
reality TV show where people try to become Top Gun pilots from the team that brought you the Top Gun movie. It starts out with people, short clips, and their total Top Gun nicknames, except these are their real nicknames. And it's all about Mm. how becoming a fighter pilot is super hard, which it is. Mm. Okay. I'm a little bit surprised that the Air Force would allow such a thing. I feel like... It's probably um, the only reason the show exists. Well, I mean, obviously they're going to want to always spin everything positively. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. It's like, isn't it awesome to be a Top Gun pilot and don't you want to work your ass off to be it? Yes, yes, we do. Mm. That's what everybody does in the Air Force. They all fly kick-ass planes, all several million people. (laughs) And they all fly (laughs) into the danger zone. Exactly. (laughs) Again, I feel like I was fortunate. That's exactly what my uncle did growing up. He was a fucking fighter pilot, and I just, oh, I was spoiled. He could just sneak me camcorder footage of him rolling around in a goddamn jet Mach 1 crazy. My best friend joined the Air Force because he saw a Top Gun. So, you know, it can have effects. Did, what, did he become a fighter pilot? No. Okay. No. Uh, <laughs> okay. Otherwise, we should have him on to talk about AFP on CBS 20 years ago. <laughs> Moving uh, on to the games of 2002. I'm going to go backwards because I can't wait to hear this clip that JR added for the last one. <laughs> the Scorpion King, Sword of Osiris for GBA. A little late for a Scorpion King tie-in. Holy shit. Is it? Yeah. Is it the Scorpion was... King coming out in a few weeks? I thought it was last year. Oh, no. We talked about it in Laser Time. Sorry. It was ah. It was about the worst CG of all time. Uh, oh, yeah. Then... yeah. I can see that. Uh, uh, but yeah, this is a GBA game, which means it's a solid Super Nintendo game, 1994. Yeah. And then we get Dungeon Siege on PC. That's huge. And uh, Ar- Army Men RTS for PS2. The Army Men franchise cannot be stopped. 3DO will live forever. Playing with Army Men in a computer game situation is a fantastic concept. They just ran it in the ground too much. Yep. <clears throat> Star Wars Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. God, these titles got confusing. Uh, this improves everything from Dark Forces 2. I would call this the first decent 3D Star Wars game. Mm. And this is so well regarded that even though this came out in 2002, it got a Switch port two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Mm. And Freedom Force is out on PC. There's a game. Uh, this is about. my most played game of all of 2002. Oh. <laughs> uh, I uh, got this when I was visiting America from living in Japan. So I was only in America for one week. And this is one of the games I picked up because back in 2002, there was no steam. Uh, I couldn't really play American games very easily in Japan. And this is a real time tactical game where you play very, very cheesy golden age superheroes. You know, you've got your, I am the Minuteman, and I am here to pretend Patriot city stand Mm. back (laughs) evil doers. And then he swings his club of, justice depending on where you click it has fantastic theming the graphics look so jerky in 2022 (laughs) it's just like oh man but in 2002 i ate it up i thought it was amazing i thought i am playing a comic book you can customize your superheroes and the marvel and dc community still makes new skins for freedom force today so that if you want to play that marvel or dc character that came out in 2021 in freedom force you can download it and play it uh it was made by irrational games who then went on to make bioforced so you know there was a lot of talent in this game i'm surprised the series never went anywhere they made a sequel and then it just petered out and then the save the best for last um (laughs) This, you know, what's never going to be dated? Full motion video on a PS1 game, and we have just that with Hooters Road Trip. 
Okay, this is such a bad racing game. You can't take or cause damage. So you're driving, what? and then you're basically a ghost car who passes through other ghost cars. What so the fuck? I don't know. I don't get it. And PS1 racing. So, you know, the 3D is eye-bleedingly bad. <laughs> and when you play for like, I don't know, one hour, maybe two, then you get a five-second clip of a Hooters goal girl and it's just you know what hooters girl is working the day shift that we can find and get to sign this waiver to use her likeness uh for a free hooters oh. big mac or whatever they serve oh my god uh it looks like game informer and games radar circa 2017 both named it one of the worst games ever made indeed indeed we have a little clip from it oh no hi y'all welcome to georgia <laughs> how you doing sugar <laughs> Is that she, the worst Southern accent you've heard in your life? Because it's up there. It's up there. It should again, be that, in the discussion. It's, it's an innocuous performance, but not unlike Ladybug. She had Rodney Dangerfield eyes, and it scared the hell out of me. Ugh. I don't understand the combination of racing and girls in short shorts feeding you wings. Oh, oh there's a plot. You're driving oh, there's a plot. Oh, from good. all the Hooters in the South. So you start yeah. at a Hooters in Florida, and then you drive to one in Georgia. And uh, yeah, you just keep driving around to Hooters and you have to drive to the next Hooters as fast as you can. Okay. Presumably because um, you have diarrhea. I'm yeah. <laughs> Look at how, how many, it'd be pretty funny if you actually had to drive to all the Hooters locations. Cause I'm looking, there's uh, well, like 10 in Alabama alone. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> I don't had to build their own airline. But yeah. <laughs> oh my God. God, why? Yeah, I assume that who would ever do that? And every time I pass my local Hooters, parking lot is overflowing. So there are, even during a pandemic, people love their Hooters. I, I've been to one Hooters in my life. I think it was 2001 or 2004, somewhere around that frame. And it was fine. Not you know, me. I, I, I went, I no, went, you've never been? No, no, I went once to uh, the only Hooters I've ever been to outside the Los Angeles Convention Center because I was desperate for food after the convention center shut down. <laughs> and I had what I can only describe as the worst wings I've ever had. I love See, I, food. I, I, I never, I don't have to make. I'll eat anyone's leftovers. I threw them away. Like, I, like this is, these are awful. Uh, but we're happy to be your uh, sponsor. Welcome, Hooters, uh, if, if need be. I'll, I'll reverse that. Yeah, hated it. Hated it. Um, My burger was fine, and the fries were fine. I'm I'm glad they could accomplish at least that. But they're known for their wings, and their I don't like wings. I've never oh, liked wings. Love wings. It's just it's like too much skin. It's like skin and mm. like a third of an ounce of meat. Would you quit it? Yeah. I'm starving. Oh yeah, and and sauce. It's just it's just a mechanism for eating the sauce. You, I Mostly. mean, really, I should just pour the sauce in my mouth, and then I'd probably be happier. <laughs> yeah, why don't they make like a mango habanero sauce I can put on something else, for fuck's sake? Mm. Uh, I don't know how the video... It's odd that the video games turn into a discussion of the Hooters restaurant, but that's the world we were in 20 years ago. And close out of this segment with What's Love? Fat Joe featuring Ashanti. It's on the charts this week and spelled L-U-V, and that's why I pronounced it that way. But don't move, people. we got one more segment for you right after this.
all the ships at sea, it's time for Diana's Classic Corner. We go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching. And for the week of March 25th through 31st, yeah, got one of those. It's like, well, I feel like a basic bitch because this is such an obvious recommendation. But I'm going to tell it to you anyway. But first, starting with 50 years ago this week, saw the release of the album Machine Head by Deep Purple which means it is the 50th anniversary of the riff from Smoke on the Water being the first thing people try to learn on a guitar. Also, that album freaking rocks, man. Deep Purple is like, I guess the earliest heavy metal, really? I mean, it's got Highway Star on it, which is arguably a heavy metal song. Anyway, Smoke on the Water for <laughs> Chrismica. My husband got me a child's beginner accordion, and I've been trying to make Smoke on the Water be the first thing I play on it. But every time I play, the dog just starts howling like crazy. So it's kind of ruined my musical ambitions. Also, I'm terrible at all musical things. Anyway, moving on to the actual film recommendation of this week. 70 years ago this week from 1952 is the release of Singing in the Rain. The best film musical ever, period. I'm just saying it. Just saying it. The Gene Kelly, Debbie Reynolds, Donald O'Connor, the deeply underrated Gene Hagen, who is so freaking funny in that movie. If you've never seen it, I don't know why you're depriving yourself. Because you just think musicals are dumb and stupid or whatever. It's a ton of fun. It's technically a jukebox musical. None of those songs are new. They were all like things that the audience already knew. So that really appealed to them. It's about the making of movies, but it's also about the transition from silent films to talkies. So it's actually a pretty good primer on how that all went down. Like if you didn't, you want to go watch the artist and you're confused that singing in the rain actually kind of gives you a good walkthrough of like how this worked and why there are really long song sequences and dance sequences that are just there because they could, because Gene Kelly was co-directing and he wanted to show off and guess what? It's worth it because some of those numbers are just incredible. Moves along at a pretty zippy pace. Dialogue is really, really funny. All the performances are great. The dancing is of course, completely ridiculous and yeah if you haven't seen singing in the rain or you just haven't seen it in a really long time I, it's it's such a like no thought like this is one of my favorite movies i think it's the best musical ever made period got nothing else to say so that's it for this week stay classic Coming into 2012 with Hey Shooter off of Rocket Juice and the Moon. Uh, I'm not just reading those words for the first time. By the supergroup Damon Albert Flea and Nigerian drummer Tony Allen featuring Erica Badu. What the hell? Yeah. Every now That's and then we, we turn up an album that I've never heard of and I'm like, you're joking. And then I listen to it and like, oh, that's cool. So just like Audio Slave 10 years before, we got a super group. Yeah. yeah it's obviously like, not I don't together. know how these things go together, but they do. It's pretty cool. And uh, other new music releases include Amaryllis by Shinedown, Kids in the Street by All American Rejects, Vulnerable by The Used, The Wilderness by Cowboy Junkies, and Nocturnicate by Mars Volta. I said it right. Uh, we Are Young by Fun, featuring Janelle Monet is still number one. Let's get into the movies. Hunger Game, still number one at the box office, I say rightfully so. New movies. It's going to be there for a while. Good, because I, I, I haven't heard of one of these movies, and the other one I don't believe should exist. The first one... I'm not sure either should exist, frankly. Yeah, I, I don't know anything about... I'm going to go there. Mirror Mirror with Scene Bean, 
Sean Bean, Michael Lerner, Mayor Winningham, uh, Robert M. Nathan Lane, Army Hammer, Julia Roberts, and Lily Collins. It's Mirror Mirror. This queen radiates crazy. Oh, you're no fun. Oh! She's wicked. She's evil. Your father meant for you to inherit his crown. Snow White. Snow White, what a surprise. You think she has a boyfriend? On March 30th. I need your help to defeat the queen. You're invited to the most magical adventure of the season. (laughs) Mirror, mirror. Wow, this is the the first of... The first, yeah. There was a race for who could come out with the first Snow White film. Why there was a race when this has been public domain since the creation of public domain, I have no idea. But yeah, this and Snow White and the Huntsman were both in production at the same time, and they were both left changing their release dates to try and come out first. And this one won, quote unquote, won. Okay. I mean, mirror, mirror on the wall. What's the worst Snow White of them all? This film. I tried to watch this. <laughs> I got 20 minutes in, and I can watch yeah. Schlock. And this wasn't even interesting schlock this is like a tv movie of the week on the disney channel no one in this movie cared about this movie julia roberts fantasy land accent is just like this amorphous (laughs) glob that keeps changing to sound vaguely medieval when that's not even a real accent do not recommend this is a strange movie because like there are some things i actually like about it Number one weird thing is it's directed by Tarsim Singh, who directed The Fall and the Losing My Religion video. Mm -hmm. And he makes things that are incredibly pretty. And this is the last time he got to work with uh, Ayaku Ishioka, the costume designer that I keep shouting out. Because the look of it, like the costumes are fucking insane. And that's kind of all I have to say. It's a comedy kind of question mark like and it tries to have almost like the tiniest of feminist spins like there's a point where snow white kind of becomes robin hood for half a minute and it's like okay well you're doing something different but mostly just like why it's it's just a big pile of why what are you doing you're not giving us really anything new with snow white because this has been trod over so I, I don't know much. why anybody would do this 10 years ago. I don't know why Disney is embarking on this now. Because almost every one of their live action remakes of their animated classics has made a billion dollars. I don't think that is in the cards for Snow White. It's not worth the trouble. Just because it's the least interesting Disney princess that there is. Yeah. And and yeah, that's fair. And the idea that not only were they remaking it th- these two concepts for two competing deep impact armageddon movies there's two shows on tv like once upon a time and another one that are also resurrecting snow white at this point like snow white had never been so media saturated (laughs) since like 1937 when the original movie came not the original movie but disney movie came out i just i mean i guess i'll point out that danny woodburn and marco Mark Martin Kleba, uh, who are two little people actors, they were also both in Death to Smoochie. Wow, <laughs> as, big week! And some of the Ryanettes. So yeah, big week for little people actors. What pre- what premiere do I go to? Oh, the Prettiest Girl of the Dance. <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, um, that's ten years apart. Never mind. Yeah, ten years. But <laughs> it's like I don't know. I feel like I, I I'm stuck between trying to decide were they trying or did they not give a shit. Because a lot of people in this, I feel like they're trying. And a lot of people, I feel like they really don't 
give a shit. Mm -hmm. They don't care. They're not trying to do anything new. They're not trying to do anything interesting. And then like little bits here and there. It's like, well, maybe they'll. I 34. If you go to the Wikipedia page on films based on Snow White, there are 34 films based on Snow White. Good Lord. Only one of them's good. <laughs> yeah. I That's still a haven't horrible track record. I, I still have never seen Snow White and the Huntsman. I mean, we're going to get to it, but it'll be interesting to contrast and compare. I guess I saw a couple different reviews comparing this to the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland. Yuck. And I will say I will take this one over that one. <laughs> but then I really loathe that movie. Yeah. This too. at I... least I could sort of zone out for a while and not be like actively angry at it. I don't know. I made it through the entire Tim Burton film just because it was at least visually interesting to me at times. But this film wasn't. I mean, I mm -hmm. can recognize good costumes, but it's not enough to make me watch something. And I noped yeah. out after 20 minutes. Funny you should say yep. that because the uh, next movie... I don't know. Maybe if you swap costumes with CG, but there's still mm -hmm. fancy costumes in the next movie, a sequel to one of my least favorite movies I've ever talked about here. Billy James, Toby Kebbell, Billy Nye, Danny Houston, Rosamund Pike, Edgar Ramirez, Ray Fiennes, Liam Neeson, and Sam Worthington, the king of 2012, <laughs> Wrath of the Titans. The Titans are breaking free. And we'll make the end of the world. What am I meant to do? You will learn that being half human makes you stronger than a god. No, uh, no. experience it in Elden Ring and avoid this completely. Well, the one thing that I appreciate about this movie is it has actual Titans in it. Oh, I yeah. never even thought about it. Clash of the Titans, ain't got no Titans, just got gods and shit. The Titans are different. This one, True. the Titans are getting loose, which means, you know, there's got to be like a lava monster or something. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> the one interesting thing about this movie is I think it had an interesting concept in that the gods are all atheist. That is, in this film, <laughs> the gods say, when we die, we just cease to exist. And that they need prayers badly. Like, if people aren't praying to them, they die. Right. That could have been an interesting film. It's not this film, but it <laughs> could have been an interesting film. This film is a bland, boring yes. film with yes. no human characters that I care about. Monsters that appear and then are killed so quickly that they make no impact. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene in this that looks like they're trying to ape the Mines of Moria scene from Lord of the Rings with I... rocks falling, rocks crumbling. You have to jump from falling rock to other rock. But it looks worse than Lord of the Rings, which came out 11 years before this film. And I don't get how that's possible. This is a big budget movie, but their Moria scene looks worse than an 11-year-old Moria scene. Yeah, Man, I hate this movie. As, as just sort of, yeah, I was about Mirror Mirror, I would rather watch that three times than watch Wrath of the Titans. <laughs> yeah. At least it, it, I have something like... I don't know. I'll pay attention to something. Yeah, Julia Roberts' stupid accent or Lily Collins' eyebrows or something because this is a bunch of boring noise. I feel like they're just jangling <laughs> keys in front of me. Yeah, yeah. The story is like, well, they are they have a story, but I don't care about any of it. Like, anytime there's something I'm close to caring about, they find a way to ruin it. <laughs> 
they they also have Zeus as a loving father, which no matter how many times that appears in cinema, always kind of pisses me off. I just mm-hmm. I, I want a movie with Zeus that is just like a total jerk ass Zeus. You know, the <laughs> Zeus that goes around and goes, hey, see that hot chick over there? I'm going to turn into a swan. Why? <laughs> Bitches love swans. <laughs> That's the real Zeus. That's how Zeus behaved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, that's that's some of the better stuff that he did. <laughs> and the more filmable but stuff yeah, that he did. Yeah, uh, Zeus is like, oh, I care about you, my half-mortal son. Yuck. Do you, though? Yuck. You really don't. Yuck. Can't stand it. I can't stand it. I, I like even mm-hmm. gave it, try to give it a shot and just like nope the fuck out of it. It was Oscar time week, you know, but I really didn't like the first one to like such a no. huge extent. And this seemed like a pretty, I did not want to see this become a thing. Still fairly successful, made its money back mm-hmm. and then some. Uh, but but no you. completion to the trilogy. This yes. was the last. Thank God. Thank yep. God. Get get moving on your superhero movies. Catch up with Marvel 10 years ago. We can move into um, 2012 television. On the 25th of March, Disney cancels so random. Uh, this was Disney's attempt to make a sketch comedy show. And Disney makes some animated films that last for generations yes. and then Ugh. it makes live action television that is the most god awful <laughs> thing that every parent just grits their teeth through and wants to just shove that computer out. i would say and i would is, say live live life. action in general is the the disney stuff that holds up the least even the yeah. movies yeah and i watched but sammy the way out seal like last week but their tv is even oh, worse so garbage so i mean bad. This clip that you're about to hear is like the highest level of comedy that Disney television can aspire to. I'm just going to read it aloud. Mr. McNamara is a man of farty who lives in apartment 240. He wakes up after farty winks at 4.40 a.m. Leaving the cum fart of his home, he drives 40 miles to get to the grocery store where he buys 40 pounds of rock fart cheese, which he eats on his way to fart blocks, where he makes an effort to fortify the unfortunate fortress. He does this for 40 days and 40 nights. I, was your intention to make me laugh at this, JR? Just because of how long it's going on. I, I'm <laughs> laughing at that. I thought the, it was the great. joke, if you don't get it, is that he's Irish and 40 sounds like farty. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the joke. Disney would do that joke 10 years later. And I really can't say for sure. I, I, yeah, a, it is a little ribald yeah. for something for the, the weans. Yeah. yeah. The other side of the television spectrum, I guess, maybe it's all still for young people. Polly D Project debuts on MTV because Jersey Shore, man, it's like only a year old. Everyone on Jersey Shore is getting their own show. Yes. You yeah. get a show, and you get a show, and you get a show. This lasted a season. Polly D seems like the nicest one of the Jersey Shore what, people. What the is least his project? He's a he DJ. Oh, he wants to be a DJ, mm-hmm. and you're uh... following him becoming a DJ. I see. Which he did end up becoming a DJ. Um, well, I'm sure he makes a fortune yes. just because he was on the Jersey Shore. As is like. the fate of most influencers. Mm, yeah. <laughs> the 30th of March, the Rosie Show is canceled, not to be confused with the other Rosie Show. Yep. yep. Um, we have uh, two Rosie O'Donnell shows canceled a decade apart. And uh, this is her second one, and it ran for a while, and then it ended. Yeah, and then she bounces around on The View. I forget how that works. I only get to watch, like, two clips of that show a year. Speaking of things I don't watch at all, 
<laughs> I didn't know the show existed because I didn't have cable, but I worked in the games industry and man, we were flooded with free copies of Ben 10 and Ben 10 Ultimate Alien and ended on Cartoon Network on the 31st of March. So say goodbye. So yeah, this is the uh, sequel to Ben 10. Ben's secret identity is revealed. And now the big change is that Ben is a 16-year-old douche. All, all grown up like, Ben 10, yes. <laughs> yeah. In video games of 2012, we got the Capcom Digital Collection for Xbox 360. I don't even know what that, what's on that. Uh, it was all the Capcom remakes. So like you didn't ah, have yes. uh, the Commando. original Bionic Commander. You had the remake of that, the remake of Final that Fight, the remake impact. of Puzzle Fighter. Yeah. And then uh, Gettysburg Armored Warfare for PC. Uh, <laughs> this is Paradox's most forgotten and worst game. Mm. It is a combination real-time strategy and third-person shooter taking place in some steampunk civil war came out a bug ridden disaster with no manual and no tutorial and it's it's not fun i think speaking of the worst of your franchise ridge racer unbounded for uh pc and ps360 i think the vita one is the ridge one racer the, it's ridge, ridge racer ridge racer how does diana know that <laughs> that's the only thing i know ridge racer ridge racer and, uh this is a reboot more than a sequel, so yeah. it's probably similar to the original. That can't be. Is it made out of? Is this is a car made out of seventeen triangles. <laughs> uh, on the, also on the twenty seventh, you got Tiger Woods PGA Tour thirteen uh, on PS three sixty. How many years are and, we away from Tiger Woods having the series taken away from him? It's just the ooh, PGA Tour now. That's a good mm. question. I'm not sure, but because it's two thousand and twelve, this had motion controls, which. Oof. Everyone hated and quickly turned off. It was it just when like the Wii came with a better motion controlled golf game than the EA Ultra Simulation. I had to review one of these and I, I really hated it. And then Tropico Four Modern Times uh, comes out. Uh, so the Tropical series, you play as a Caribbean dictator, mm -hmm. and you can either be a good dictator or a bad dictator or. Mix of both? That's pretty much your only choices. Oh. And it always had this swinging 1960s vibe, you know, but this game tries to modernize it. And I don't think that was the wise decision. I think it works better as a period piece. Mm -hmm. And trying to bring it into the modern world just kind of makes it less fun to kill your dissidents. Then we got we got to tell you about who died and who was, who was born and who died during this period of 30, 2010. Before that, asking you to... Hit up our Patreon, patreon.com slash laser time. You got me and Matt over there talking about uh, his recent trip to Universal Studios and the differences between Florida and Hollywood parks. Sadly, Matt and I both represent those parks, having grown up close to them. Um, I hate fighting over this stuff, and I hate saying Florida's better at anything than L.A., but there we are. Laser time this week is all about Oscar time. Oscar time! <laughs> Damn, I feel like we did. Did we not make a, a ton of predictions? We didn't make a, our predictions as usual. But mm. by the time you hear this, you should be gearing up to watch the Oscars or avoid it and talk shit about it on Twitter. I know both are equally popular. Well, I predict that insert winner here will win. The show's coming out before <laughs> the Oscars, JR. That's not going to work. That's that. It's never going to happen. I predict Dune sweeps everything. No, I, <laughs> now, there's really no predicting here. It's this is going to be a total green book year. Die. Where can people find more of you? They can find me on the Twitter at Listenerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010's podcast, at 302010 podcast. Coming up next week, we have, we've done American Pie 1 and 2. We have not the next one, but the return 
We're actually skipping to four, which is the return of the series, which is confusing. We also have Ryan Reynolds' sort of breakout movie, and we have Charles Grodin versus a giant dog. Mm, ugh, written by Alexander Dumbass. God damn, uh, I really hate that movie. <laughs> oh yeah, and also check out Video Game Apocalypse this week. We'll be talking about some really fun stuff, brand new games. Uh, I think Giant Liars in video game. I can't. I don't know. I don't know exactly what Michael's got gearing up, but uh, <laughs> fun show. And you can hear more of Michael on this week's Laser Time as well. JR, where can people find you? They can find me on the Twitter at J-R-R-A-L-L-S. They can also find me on Talking Terrific Television, a chronological examination of The Sopranos. This week, we are covering Heidi and Kennedy, which is the final appearance of Christopher Moltisanti. Another passage drug test, though. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that's where he wins the lottery and retires to Jamaica. <laughs> Yes, and if you watch the Sopranos movie, The Many Saints, mm-hmm. you know that canonically, he goes to hell after that scene. <laughs> yes. Where hell is a real place that actually exists in the Sopranos universe, and that's why I always refer to him as Ghostifer. I, I fucking love that movie. With all that out of the way, we can figure out who died during this period. Who were we most sad about? Oh, man, I'm very sad about everything. We had no deaths last week because everyone was waiting for this week. What the hell? Starting with in 1992 is when we lost Nancy Walker, who was 69. Nice. 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 Good job, lung cancer. Mm. She was Rhoda's mom on TV, and she also directed the Village People movie somehow. Hell yeah. Still no one's sure how that happened. And we also lost Paul Heinrich, who is 84. He's the guy who gets the girl in Casablanca. Yeah. That guy. Then I'm going to skip ahead. This 2002, I got to talk about everybody. But then 2012 is when we lost Earl Scruggs, 88. He's a banjo player that basically invented bluegrass. Hmm. So, yeah. I knew knew he sounded like a Squidbillies character. Yeah, he does. But (laughs) those guys can't rock Foggy Mountain Breakdown like he can. Hmm. And then in 2002, I actually remember this week because it was like, oh, my God, make it stop. Uh, First, we lost Dudley Moore, who is 66. And I feel like... The kids don't appreciate him. Yeah, he was kind of not making as many films. Uh, he made like the, the Santa Claus the movie was like the big thing he made that was marketed at people my age. And that was kind of it. It was broad comedies for adults. And then he sort of disappeared and died pretty young. Yeah, it's a yeah. progressive super nuclear palsy. So he had a very Parkinson-like symptoms, had to use a wheelchair later on. Did you uh, add the and- flair to that? Is that actually the name? Super nuclear yeah, supranuclear. Soup. He's, I mean, go go back and watch his stuff with Peter Cook, his stand-up stuff, mm-hmm. his sketches and everything. Oh, my God. And, like, okay, Bedazzled. Arthur. Like, Arthur is the thing that people mostly remember for. Like, he didn't have the film career that he probably should have. You watch the original Bedazzled. He's so much fun in that. A ten. You know? Yeah, ten. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Anyway, so, like, oh, that's too bad. Dudley Moore died. Well, let's get into the old people. Milton Berle mm. was 93. Uncle uh, Milky. So... Back in January of 1992, uh, he published a book called Milton Berle's Private Joke File, 10,000 of his gags, anecdotes, and Mm one-liners. I bought that when I was 14, and I read all 673 (laughs) (laughs) pages of it, and I couldn't remember a single joke from it. Yeah. And how many were stolen? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm sure all of them, but yeah. He was a notorious joke thief, but... But there's one I thing mean, you can't take away from him. TV pioneer oh. and, and, and his giant, giant dick. 
He has a giant cock, and he would pull it out is, and show people. Is that true? Everybody has that. a story about his this cock, including living people. Because yes. I had I've literally never seen him on anything but presenting an award at the MTV Music Awards next to RuPaul, and just like it's kind of funny, but like it was that it was it was that was like even that was like thirty years ago. So yeah, yeah, didn't know the guy very well. He was literally from vaudeville. <laughs> so. Yeah, he was literally from vaudeville. A TV pioneer. He was doing TV back in the 40s. Mm-hmm. You think, oh man, he's 93. He's got to be the oldest person you're going to talk about. No, because <laughs> m- one of my true heroes and probably favorite filmmaker of all time, Billy Wilder, died mm-hmm. this week in 2002. He was 95. Bummer. Oh my God, go watch. Look, the man made probably the funniest comedy and the best film noir of all time. Oh, uh, which one's the what film the noir? Double indemnity, bro. Double indemnity. Okay, I was I, I was thinking of Sunset Boulevard, but that's not very noir. Uh, Kind of noir. I call that noir. Okay, yeah. I love that movie. Like a little more than Double Indemnity, but I, this is we're not here to argue over Billy Wilder because uh, the other the comedy you're talking about is Some Like It Hot. I'm guess. Yes. There. See. I, yeah, but also, I mean, Some Like It Hot. Also, The Apartment. Mm-hmm. Oh, The Apartment movie. is amazing, and I feel like such a large audience grew up watching The Apartment on a small screen television that mm-hmm. if you can actually see it either on a really big screen television or better yet in the theaters widescreen it opens up this largeness of it because when you're watching it on the small screen it's a small drama but when you see it large you can really see that it's capturing the vitality and amazing drive that 1960 New York had it's mm. almost confusing because i think that was one of the first times i noticed this is black and white but widescreen so then my you know film minor brains get set off like that can't be oh he just did it on purpose you could still there was still 10 years where our tours could change the color of their films back to the old ways and yeah if you liked like any minute of Mad Men, you should watch the apartment and you think wow billy wilder's 95 he's got to be the oldest guy no because queen elizabeth the queen mother died at 101 oh no that's the current queen's ma'am who was queen during world war ii yeah and and, wait is is the the current queen on on a streak to beat her well unless she's, uh, she's not 101 yeah what is she? So she she's 95 yeah okay i didn't know how i thought she was like not in the 99 ish era no but it's possible she could do it yeah and the whole time people are like oh my god like i always thought prince charles is just looking at his grandmother as she hits 100 she was so old she had to get her hip replacement replaced can you imagine uh, the racism that comes out of a 101 year old's mouth 20 years ago (laughs) holy shit yeah there's there's some family stuff going on with uh, some people with developmental disabilities that were institutionalized their entire lives to hide them yeah there's some stuff watch the crown it's fantastic i keep meaning to watch stupid dirty 2010 and oscars listen to our shows people laser time dirty 2010 video game apocalypse Uh, okay Mm -hmm. sorry one final thing about queen elizabeth the queen mother give it if you accept that the 20th century did not begin in 2001 then Mm -hmm. she was born in the 19th century wow (laughs) wow Wow. she was born august 4 1900 so if you want to be pedantic you could consider that the 19th century. So she lived in three, three centuries. Dec- three different yes. centuries. That's fucking awesome. All right. So anyway, there was a lot of deaths. Nancy Walker, Paul Heinrich, Dudley Moore, Milton Berle, Billy Wilder, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, and Earl Scruggs. Let's talk about somebody who's alive. Who's alive? It's the birthday quiz. Oh, birthday is a doodly-doo. A ding-dong doodly-doo. 
Starting 75, another exceptional person. Born March 25th, 1947 in Pinner, Middlesex, England. He won a scholarship to the Royal Academy of Music at age 11. Played in pubs, did some session work. Then he answered an ad in NME where, they, you know, he's like, I, I can do music stuff. And they're like, here's a bunch of lyrics by some other kid who answered an ad. Turn them into songs. And he did. They both got hired and they are still working together 50 years later. Ugh. Man, I really feel like we should know who that is. Since then, he's sold more than 300 million albums. Is he, he a would... Beatle? No. Is it Elton I've John? Done all the Beatles. It is Elton John. There we go. Oh. <laughs> no, we've done all the Beatles. I will never do Beatles. I didn't even see Rocket Man. Uh, see, I was hoping. I like Rocket Man. I really liked it. No. It was way better than Bohemian Rhapsody. I've never seen Bohemian Rhapsody. Don't bother. Rocket Man's a better version. Yeah. Anyway, more about Elton John. He was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame the first year he was eligible. He has two Oscars, four Grammys, and one Tony, so he needs that Emmy for an EGOT. Mm. He was knighted Mm. in 1998 and has the biggest selling single of all time. Candle in the wind. Mm -hmm. Yep. Makes sense. Albums of his that we may have talked about, The Big Picture, Leather Jackets, Keeping Up With The Past, Songs From The West Coast, The Music From Romeo and Juliet, (laughs) French Straight Back, Road To El Dorado, Aida, and Billy Elliot, The Musical. Wow. Okay, what what could he do for his E, E EGOT? He just did like some sort of like a concert special for television, maybe. Does that get or... you an award? I think there's a category for that. Or if he did like a, like a, a guest star. Yeah, he could guest star or something. I, I can't think of the current show I'd like that to see him on, but like if he could take his character from the second Kingsman and move it over into a comedy, <laughs> oh, I would I give that guy an award. I thought about that. He is so funny in the second Kingsman movie. Yeah. It's... Best part of that film by far. Uh, yeah. So Elton John turning 75 this week. Yeah, you should totally watch Rocket Man, everybody. It's it's very entertaining. It's credibly it's interesting. Still has the hair of a 20-year-old. Well, he got he got plugs. What? No, I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Work though. What I always love to bring up is that uh Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, or former, is bald as a cute. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the richest man in the world is bald. That means you can't buy hair. <laughs> but you can also do what I do and wear a hat. I just polish it so that my uh, podcast host uh, gets as much <laughs> glare as possible. That way they're more distracted and I sound better. Yeah, so I wanted to know, uh, we could go out on If You Ask Me To by Celine Dion, but that was kind of a trick to find out what is everyone's favorite Elton John song. Because there's actually a lot of them when you start thinking about it. Yeah, and, and I mean, mine are like mostly the radio cliches, the triple... FM radio combo of uh, a tiny dancer Saturday night's all right for fighting and try. I always ask people try and pronounce crocodile rock in as few syllables as Elton John manages to during that chorus. It's like crawdile. I'm going to go with guess. That's why they call it the blues. Mm. Oh, that's a really good one. I'll go with that Mm. one just to make it easier. I was probably going to go with the goodbye yellow brick road or Saturday night's all right for fighting. Cause I feel like your song is, like, that's the one everyone goes to. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I guess that's why they call it the blues. It's a really damn good song. Nobody said the Lion King. Hey. Or, or no beyond you. <laughs> what the fuck? How can they afford that? Happy birthday. Elton John, go go watch Rocket Man. It's super good. All right. And, um, yeah, All fun right. stuff next week. We'll see you next week, people. And I guess that's why they call